Welcome to the Amazon Legends Podcast, where we have real stories about making it big on Amazon. Our guests are CEOs of large companies and entrepreneurs who became powerful sellers, also experts specializing in helping sellers, and both former and current Amazon employees who will give us an insight from behind the scenes. Here's your host, Nick Urison. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Amazon Legends. And today I have a guest that I'm so glad he accepted to come on board and give us his story because he's the first client that I started with when I started uh, Argometrics after being a seller for years. And I thought, well, I'm going to now offer everything I learned to other companies. And Andy was kind enough to put his trust in me and uh, and then you know it's now how many years andy it's nine almost nine years right is it really yeah boy time flies yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we have uh, andy heck andy is the president and ceo of alpin house alpin house is a retailer they have multiple locations he'll tell you all about what alpin house uh, does in, in a minute but he's a, a great example of how a company transitions from being in one type of business, and in Andy's case, a retailer, a true retailer, to also doing business online and leveraging Amazon. So with that, Andy, uh, tell us about uh, Alpine House and you and your passions and and the uh, history of the company and how you got to be on Amazon. Oh, sure, sure. You know, we're a family business started by my dad. We started as a ski shop. And then over the years, we got into different recreational products. So currently, we sell RVs and boats, swimming pools. We still have our ski shops, uh, hot tubs. Uh, so a little, little bit of everything out, outdoor recreation. Most of our stores are in the capital region of New York, around Albany area. Our headquarters is Amsterdam. And then we have a couple stores, uh, one store downstate and one store in northern New Jersey. So yeah, that's kind of what. Um, our current mix. So then, you know, how do we, how do we get into Amazon is what you want to know next? Yeah. yeah. So one uh, little important point is you basically carry different brands, right? You, it's not your own branded products, but you simply are distributors. You have direct relationship and, and you buy and then sell the carry these different brands, right? Sure. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, being, you know, read like normal, Retail, that's exactly it. We have different products and different brands in every area. And at the time when you and I connected way back when through uh, one of our mutual business networks, when you reached out, you know, we were feeling a little pain point because we were trying to sell online with our own website. And, you know, early on we did okay. And then things were challenging as just the internet became, everybody was everywhere. And obviously Amazon was growing so much. So when you said, hey, we have an idea, I've got an idea, you know, here's what's worked for me. What do you think? So we were happy to jump in and uh, with both feet and kind of test test the waters. Yeah. So tell us about how that starting uh, played because I remember the process you went through because it was first to who's going to do this, right? You tried to hire and uh, tell us about that because this is a big deal. Everybody wants yeah, to sure. do things, but you need a team. Well, I think exactly. And I think for us, you know, like a lot of retailers, we were just picking stuff off the showroom floor and then shipping it out. That was kind of our website plan. And then as, you know, we uh, worked internally and worked with you, the plan became we need a kind of a separate department 
manned by people who are not part of the normal retail operations to just focus on this. Strategically, we could do some buying for the whole company. It would allow us maybe to bring in extra products that normally we wouldn't carry because if we could also sell it online, it meant that if that you know we could increase potentially our buying power and just also test some things that maybe we hadn't tried before. So that's kind of you know how we uh, approached it. So having the standalone was key. Learning what we could sell on Amazon, what we couldn't, you know, was key. And then learning also if it wasn't just about you know pounding your chest of hey, you know, certain products you don't know, have a lot more bravado and people are like, hey, I sold this online, but really it's just about finding the products that you can do well with online. It doesn't have to be something overly sexy. It's just something that people want to go on and, and buy and need and need the convenience. Yeah, I remember it was about research, right? You were trying to figure out what would be, and some things that you would never sell in the store actually could do very well online. I remember. Absolutely. Yeah. And what we found is there's certain items that people do, they want to come to the store and they want to they want to see it, they want to touch it, you know, and they want to uh, talk to people about it. But then there's other products that are almost like, you know, sometimes more of a commodity that like, I need it. I don't feel like getting in the car to go get it. I'm just going to buy it online. And so, you know, how we're, we knew we were, we were losing some of those sales because customers weren't coming in for some of those. Maybe we were selling them when they were in the store, but in the middle of, say, on the ski side, middle of ski season, if it's uh, an upstate New York winter night and it's, uh, 10 degrees and the wind's blowing, maybe they're not coming in their car after work. So now, now they get they can get online and order that product and have it for the weekend to go skiing. I think that's what the uh, success is what we found. They're trying to figure out what are those products that are easily shippable, what's allowed by our vendors, and really it's a moving target, as we all know, right? It's uh, it's yeah, changing yeah, all the time. Nothing is static. <laughs> nothing static, right? <laughs> and uh, the the other thing is, uh, th- this is always an approach, I guess. And some people want to do it, some people don't. FBA versus FBM, because on your website, when you receive orders, you have to do the fulfillment, the customer service. And w- what was your approach to u- utilizing Amazon fulfillment versus doing it yourself? Well, I think, you know, what we learned and obviously from your advice was, you know, especially with how, how, how many people are prime nowadays and people want it quick and they want the shipping and, and in order to really keep the five-star ratings, shipping it to the warehouses so you can get on the buy box with Amazon was key. And then not, not having to worry about that. So you just have to build it into your margins and figure that all out. And then also, you know, the inventory is accurate because when you're shipping to Amazon, it's there, they know it. It's loaded, you know, it's loaded in their system and our system, we know it's what's there all the time. And it just makes the whole process uh, pretty much seamless. So you use the FBA service rather than ship it yourself and you recommend that to others. Yeah, I would, you know, I think it's challenging, you know, to the nice part about it is if you have, especially in our case, maybe if you have a lot of people or something like that, you know, it never shuts down. But in our case, you know, with uh, people and stuff like that, we never have to worry because if we have stuff at Amazon, it's always happening where, if we had somebody call in sick or something's going on or a vacation and somebody places an order and it's not shipped out, you know, you get dinged from that. And so I think, you know, it's, you know, it's customer service is so critical with the online experience. And especially that's what Amazon certainly uh, thrives on. Yeah. You just said the key word is the customer experience. That's really what Amazon is selling. And of course that means all the sellers have to meet the same kind of standards that Amazon expects. Right. Otherwise, they penalize you, right? Yeah, that is true, right. So at the beginning, 
I mean, I remember like yesterday, you had to actually designate space and design the space in certain way. Tell us about, because people don't really anticipate those things. And when you start doing things, so tell us about those days. Yeah, it was kind of funny. It was kind of funny because we called it kind of our secret laboratory, you know, where we had it, you know, carved out a piece of the building we weren't using before and nobody really knew even what was going on back there. And so, you know, we got some computers and got some storage space and, and just went to town and so that we could, you know, bring stuff in and then ship it back out, you know, and then sometimes, you know, depending on the time of the year, because, you know, you don't, you don't have everything sitting in the warehouse at times of year, it's not selling. So you have to really understand when you need to get it to Amazon. And then also if it doesn't sell, when you need to get it back, so it's not tying up uh, warehouse space. And so we built that out. It was great, you know, and seasonally, like when we get really busy, like, uh, you know, the ski part of the business is our busiest part. So as we right now through the holidays, as really we try to get stuff to Amazon, sometimes we need some extra help, but at least now we can send help over to the Amazon team versus just by committee before, like before we really had a true online uh, platform. Mm-hmm. So how many people do you have working actively on Amazon? Amazon may not be their only work, but how many people are usually involved and what are those roles? Currently, because we're so dialed in, we have one full-time person on Amazon and then they get support as needed. Uh, she does from the other people at the other business lines, whether it's help from you know ordering from the different divisions, uh, whether it's ski, pool, or boat, you know, she leans on those people to say, hey, I'm putting an order together or I need some of this stuff. So they kind of work that. And then, like I said, the shipping side of it, then when we have bulk orders in, we just know ahead of time, we plan in accordance. And this is what we really learned over the years is we can staff it according to what the uh, peaks and valleys are. So if all of a sudden we know we have a big order coming in, she requests extra staffing, we can uh, send people over that are experienced helping her. And so typically, you know, we might have we might have a week where she's working solo and then we might have a week where we have two or three people in there working. So it works out really good. And and, and it's a trial and error over the years for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you cannot really prepare for everything, right? Because it's always changing. Plus Amazon is also changing the rules all the time. So. Right. Right. And with us, what we found is, you know, which vendors we're going to use and stuff like that. So we do a lot with certain vendors. It's a lot easier because you're not handling as many products. You know, maybe you're handling a lot of, volume but it's uh, you know it might be just one product from a vendor so it's a lot easier to process because you get a bunch of them in one vendor shipment and it's easier but that you know the challenge that we continually face is you know amazon wants to go direct sometimes so you know that it's a third party uh selling marketplace until it's not at times you know because then it's the amazon marketplace right yeah. for themselves and then we have some of our vendors which ultimately they decide just to cut us out and go direct with amazon and cut us as a retailer out so that's the moving target part of it and which is fine. So then we just keep chasing the next product, you know, because that's kind of what happens in retail anyways, as you see, right. With uh, whether it's chain stores or whatever, when the brand wants to cut out the retailer and go direct, eventually the retailers find different products. And that's kind of like the cycle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I work with brands primarily mainly because they don't want any competition uh, right. they don't want to play the buy box uh, process. So what they do is is always the same. They have vested interest in the success of the product, but retailers are simply looking for revenue sources. So they don't really, they look at how much money it's making. And first of all, if they are authorized to sell it, and if so, then how much it's making. And that's really where the loyalty is. So it's a totally different approach. And also the Amazon environment 
is designed to attract more and more brands to come directly. But right. some brands don't don't want to do that. It's you know they have a supply chain, they have great relationships, so it's a mix. But uh, right. it's a totally different approach uh, for retailers than than brands. Yeah, exactly. We have some brands that we carry that do no business on Amazon at all. Period. And we have other brands, like I said, that want to go direct with Amazon and cut us out. So it's it's everything in between, you know. And then yeah. some brands embrace it as long as we follow the you know the, the their policies and make sure that the brand is not you know lowered in esteem, you know, by selling low and you know keeping the brand promise alive. So you know there's map pricing and different things that we have to abide by. So and there's you know it's different retailers will play games, but a lot of these companies now are very sophisticated to, to uh, follow that, and make sure that people are doing everything on the up and up. Yeah. So tell us uh, about some of the crises that you experienced and what was the reason and how you dealt with it. Uh, crisis and like just recent memory, like the COVID crisis you're talking? Or, no, no, uh, I mean Amazon, you know, like- Oh, some, Amazon? Yeah, fabricated. I call them fabricated because Amazon policies, suddenly you get the email, you know, you're selling- Well, I think, you know, I think we've had a couple of cases when I say about brands. We place a big order and then a brand changes their opinion that they don't want to allow third-party sellers anymore. And so now we have this big order and then they tell us we can't sell on Amazon anymore. And so that it's been more of a case of probably some brands we've been dealing with than Amazon itself. There's been some challenges with Amazon, you know, with warehousing and things like that where as they've grown, there's been some challenges, but they've kind of worked them out. And I would say last year, some of the crisis was Right. With COVID going on, it became a new crisis because they only wanted essential stuff kind of in their warehouses and to make sure that what was being delivered was essential. So all of a sudden, for a period of time, recreational related things were not essential. So like we're not shipping anything for a while, which we get. But at the same time, customers didn't want to come to stores and especially bus being in New York, we weren't even open. So they were looking for ways to get product and they couldn't even get it from Amazon. So it was uh, it was interesting. That's for sure. Yeah. I remember also something uh, when you started talking about customers coming into the store, store being closed, it reminded me the year we started, you had stocked up for the winter, for the season, of course, and then suddenly it wasn't cold. Right, yeah. That, remember that time it wasn't cold yeah. and you had all the stock and then you flipped everything to Amazon and you were selling the stuff that you intended for the store. Was that like a one-off or does that happen from time? Well, you know, it's uh, right. It, it can happen. You know, obviously winters uh, can be really good in the Northeast or they can be, you know, we don't get a lot of snow and for us, or if it's a warmer or rainy, the mountains can make snow, but to really, for the recreational skier, they want snow in the backyard and they want to play in the snow. And that's when they, that's when what drives them to buy. So we'll always sell a certain amount, but in a, in a week snow year, that becomes a challenge. And that's, what's great about, some of the products that we do sell on Amazon because it's always snowing somewhere. You know, maybe it's not snowing here, but it's snowing somewhere, you know, right. so right. whether it's uh, California or Utah or, or even like families in Texas that are planning to go skiing, you know, they buy their stuff on Amazon. They don't have a ski shop nearby. So that's, it's helped from a diversification standpoint with certain products for sure. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about some of these uh, peak times. Uh, I know your season is not necessarily the same as what other people experience, but bottom line, you have the shopping season that starts with Thanksgiving, and then also you have the Prime Day. Uh, so how do they impact your operation and what are some things that, that you would recommend as best practices? 
I think you just have to, everybody's got to kind of know the, their own trend of their products and you have to be prepared. You know, what we see is some of ours, you know, people will buy ahead of the season, you know, on, when, it, when it comes to the ski side. Uh, so when you look at right November, December, and because skiing, you know, when I, when I say skiing, because that's, you know, a big part of our Amazon business. And so some people are doing it to prepare for themselves, but other times it's also Christmas shopping, you know, if somebody's got a hobby. So we kind of double dip on both. When you look at it that way, people are buying for Christmas presents or just to get ready for the season. And so typically, you know, you get most people try to do that, you know, starting in November, you know, up and then, and then it picks up in pace as we head towards, a, you know, Christmas kind of kicks off the true ski season for most recreational skiers. You know, once they get to Christmas week and the kids are on vacation and the holidays are happening, that's when they head out. So we just always want to be prepared. Then it's watch it closely as we go through that bubble of, all right, now it's midwinter. You know, and what what pricing strategies are you allowed to have because season's winding down, but people still need stuff. But also you want to be able to clear out inventory and not carry it over. So that's what that's the balance. And then you know, then for us, it picks up again with some of the boat accessories we sell and some of the camping supplies that we sell, because the same thing, then people start thinking about camping and boating, you know, as we approach Memorial Day and then through Fourth of July and such. So we, you know, we we follow the flow of a couple of different uh, peaks and valleys. So would you say that you would need to allocate more resources in terms of man hours and the people uh, based on how many items you carry on Amazon or does it not matter? I think the resource, you know, a lot for us, it's always, it's twofold. One is because we're selling, you know, uh, as uh, fulfilled by Amazon, the first step is we have to get all the product in and we don't know what, you know, we're not at the mercy of when some of that stuff comes in because it, you know, we order it ahead of the season and it comes when it comes. So that's the first step of having enough people to help unpack it and put it in our own inventory in the, in the space that we built out. And then it's the timing of, all right, now it's time, it's go time to get it to Amazon and then also get the help for that time. So it's like, it's a couple step process. And then you just sit back and wait and watch and hope that it's selling, you know, that's uh, that's the fun part. Do you ever have to bring back some of the inventory? We do. There's always, there's ultimately some stuff that doesn't sell or some, you know, whether it's oddball stuff or whatever. So we'll bring it back because our stuff is so seasonal and then uh, try to discount it in the store or potentially uh, send it with some stuff the following season, depending on what it is. So as far as setting goals, what would you, because to some people, who have never done this before and they are hearing Amazon all the time and they want to start on Amazon and they want to do what you're doing as mm-hmm. far as buying, selling. What kind of goals would be realistic goals for them and what would be the requirement then in terms of inventory and, and other kind of infrastructure that they would need to have? Yeah, I think, you know, like for us, and I think it's, Part of the goals are you got to do a little bit of due diligence on uh, analyzing kind of what's what kind of products you have are on there. If people aren't searching for it, even if you send a bunch of stuff, they're still not going to search for it. So you have to understand that there's a demand and then kind of, you know, using some data, but then a little bit of crystal ball too and a little confidence. And that's why we always look at stuff that what could we sell in the store also if it doesn't work on Amazon. So we have that our, uh, you know, bet hedged a little bit. And then, then you learn and then, you, you know, then, you know, because we've been doing it so many years, we kind of, kind of, it's almost predictable what stuff does, you know, from year to year and we can, we can start following the trends. You know, I think the first year or two is always the most challenge because you don't know what to expect. So set it, you know, then you set those goals and, 
and buying, you know, especially now with supply chain issues, right? People have to really, you have to plan in advance, you know, because you can't sell what you don't have and you have to understand when you have to order those things mm-hmm. well in advance. And the other question that everybody asks, so you don't know how something is going to perform. How much do you start with? How much do you buy? Is it hundreds of pieces, a small number of pieces? And how did you figure out? Yeah. And and we just kind of go product by product, right? So it could be as simple as 10 of an item of one item just to try it out. It could be a hundred of a different item, you know, and I think it depends on what it is and, you know, what our experience is or ultimately the consumer, you know, how much consumer demand is for that product. What's the online presence? Where do they get it? You know, is it easily shipped? All those kind of things kind of go into our factor and the pricing standpoint, because we always do, is it even worth our while? Because right, Amazon takes a cut, there's a shipping cost. Then you have to look at what products are worth your while and where, you know, are you protected from a pricing standpoint? You don't want to, you don't want to go through all the effort and then find out that you make zero margin on it. So you have to play that out because it's probably a volume game, right? You have to do enough volume and yeah, you have a little bit slimmer margin, but also overall, you know, we look at it, we have a little bit less overhead on that side of the business. And it helps us a little bit on the other sides as well. Are you looking to sell on Amazon and just starting from scratch? Or are you a CEO looking to add Amazon as another sales channel to grow your distribution and revenue base? Check out Argo Metrics Seller Concierge Services or SCS for short. SCS combines knowledge and technology to grow and manage your Amazon operation. It is delivered through one-on-one coaching sessions and provides access to proven growth tools. With 24-7 support created by multiple incorporated award-winning CEO, Nick Urison, SCS will help you hit the ground running and scale your Amazon operation for more quickly less drama. Find the details on the program. Visit argometrics.com. Do you go to Amazon first to do your research to figure out what to sell? Or do you start with your suppliers to see what their products are and then go to Amazon, see how they would do? Kind of both. We kind of we, we look at Amazon to see if it's on there and then we kind of try to find out are we allowed to sell it on there if, if it's not there already. If it's there already, then we try to get approval to sell on Amazon. So that's, and then we, you know, we look at it, is there a map policy, like I said, for margin protection, stuff like that. So that, you know, we know that it's worth stepping up to. And then, you know, then we also look at the competition is, are there any other, depending on the line of business, are there any other websites outside of Amazon where people don't really go to Amazon, even though it's on Amazon, are they more apt to go to other websites or other retailers than go to Amazon? Because, you know, I mean, even though Amazon sells everything, there's still some things that people are don't go to Amazon for when don't even think about, you know? So I think that's what we try to, we try to put our arms around it. It's sometimes it's unscientific, you know, it's not hundred percent scientific, but you try to gather as much information as you can and then, then go to town with data and gut. Do you ever use any one of those uh, tools that will tell you, you know, how many pieces an item is selling per month? You can pretty much go on any listing and then pull it up. Uh, do you ever use those for your decision-making? 
We've looked at, we look at a little bit, you know, but ours being so seasonal, it's more of a challenge because it's not like, it's not like a product that's always repetitive. It's, you know, cause it's such peak and valleys and every season falls a little bit different, you know? So, and, and then we find out each year, sometimes our competition online is a little bit different. And that's what I said. That's one of the surprises all the time. Right. So yeah, yeah. this year we're the only supplier, uh, you know, they're only one retailer and then next year all of a sudden, Oh my gosh, there's 20 more selling the same thing. How'd that happen? <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, that's the challenge with the seasonal stuff because you right, don't it know, is. you don't know, you have no historical data. Mm-hmm. But as we look at it, you know, it's not everything's allowed to be sold and not everything makes sense. But at the end of the day, you know, the volume we were able to get out of it, we could never do this on our own website because people just don't, right? They're, I mean, they say Amazon is almost like a, a search website now. People go there instinctively, you know, just to buy stuff. It's just, it's just yeah. easy. So it's, it's one of those deals. If you can't beat them, join them, so to speak, right? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And ride, and ride it while you can. Well, I mean, there is also collaboration between these big tech companies, like, for example, Amazon search results for all product searches on Google. Mm-hmm. Google doesn't do the work. Google, I mean, they index it, but Google indexes is one thing. But what Google shows as search results, it's primarily driven by Amazon. And uh, so you've got to be on Amazon as a right. brand because that's yeah. what people are going to see. Yeah. yeah. So as far as the whole Amazon experience, so now you, you, you're coming up to almost a decade of experience. So during that time, have you ever found yourself in a situation where you say, I don't, why the hell did I do this? You know, I, it's not worth it or anything like that? No, no, we, we've enjoyed it. We just get frustrated because... We wish more of our uh, brand partners would support us and allow us to do it and do it right. But they, some of them don't understand, or like you said, the greedy part, they just want to control their brand themselves. That's life. You know, as, as entrepreneurs, you just have to, you have to understand it's not easy. You have to go after it and find the avenues and find every little angle you can, right? That's, that's the name of the game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that this is always a situation, you know, they call always. it parallel trading, you know, one, right, right. you've got one group of people working in a brand that we don't want any discounts. We don't want anything. We want to sell it, you know, directly or whatever. Only, you know, they, they want to control the supply to maintain high prices. And then you've got another group that's just, that's just encouraging. They, they're resellers to sell as much as possible because they need their supply chain to sell their entire line of products. They can't just be running on one or two where they want to maintain the price high and, you know, because they're going to need the resellers to sell everything else. Right, so, right. so they start compromising. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a big challenge. So now uh, having done this for a while, how much time did it take you to get return on your investment of starting this Amazon business to really start, you know, seeing results where they are consistent, steady, and and makes money. I would say the second year, you know, the first year with all the startup and then, you know, as you know, or as you remember, we had months of planning of work of, uh, you know, using you as a consultant and spending time to build it all out and build the playbook and get ready that you have no income coming in. And then, so then the first season, you know, then you probably finally start getting some stuff going in. So year, year two for us, luckily, I think started put us back and put us in the black already on the Amazon. And then every year from that, we just kind of have it kind of dialed in, you know, it's, it's kind of a predictable, um, you know, amount, which is good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, so that's, 
that's what I usually tell people. So you don't expect anything for about six months, but really you have to give it a year to really understand what can be accomplished and then start really scaling it from that point. And, on. I, and I think that especially the type of industries we're in, people try to do their own website or this or that, I try to do stuff or they look at the commitment but they want the return today. They're not looking at long-term. So it scares them off, you know, I think it's part of the deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, this, is, uh, this is always the case. So where do you see Alpenhouse now as far as the Amazon operation and as a company? But give us a perspective, like for example, when you started, how much of the business was coming as a percentage of the overall business? Uh, how much was coming from Amazon and where is it today and how did it grow? As a percentage, it really hasn't grown. It's just become like a stable part of what we can rely on. And it's probably because, like I said, we get 10 products to sell. And then the next year, there's 10 products we can't sell. So, but we find those. So we make money on it, which is good. And that's what we kind of see. It's a changing game, you know? And I think that as we try to figure out going forward, what are, what's the future of Amazon with the third-party sellers like us? I'm not really sure, you know, that's the continual challenge, but I think there's always going to be products, especially upstarts, because the upstarts need you. They don't understand retail as much. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what we're always scouting and saying, all right, what's the next brand that maybe has enough recognition that people will search it online, but they don't have the distribution right or the flex or power maybe to do stuff. So I think that's what we're looking at. It's continually is what are the next ones? You have to really kind of be visionary and always be ride what you have, but also be looking who's next, you know? And as far as growing the Amazon operation, also, I remember our conversations, you didn't really want it to like grow so far that it would start interfering. You wanted to have it steady revenue generating challenge. You know, we wanted to make it help support what we were doing in the stores. So, you know, pretty much everything that we sell is products that we would also be able to sell in the stores, which, which is really, like I said earlier, has worked out well for us because we were able to buy more and maybe, you know, and also then, as we know, it sells on Amazon, right? We'll sell it. Let's put it on the floor. And lo and behold, some of this stuff sells on the floor now. So we're able to have that. that maybe we wouldn't have taken a chance before, you know, because we sell it on Amazon. And that's the benefit, I think, for, from a retail perspective, be able to, to have more supply. And then so it can be either retail or um, Amazon, which works out great. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, and what we've seen is like when you talk back to a snowy winter, we had one even a couple of years ago that was not super snowy again. And it was more of a challenge on the ski side where we had, you know, we had a month where we did more on Amazon than any of our two brick and mortars. So when you talk about, you know, who would ever imagined, you know, that one employee based department with a little bit of help could sell more technically than our brick and mortar stores. And that happens from sometimes, you know, so that's, uh, that's exciting, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And also it can go as far as you want it to go. If you want it with a store, you have certain limitations, right? Right, right, right. And I think for retailers, you know, some of the opportunity is things that people search for, but maybe the brand name is as much. So there's opportunity, I think, for some private label type stuff and things like that, where people are just looking for some of those commodities and looking for a decent price mm -hmm. and different things. So there's some products we sell camping supplies or even on the ski side of supplies where people just want something. They're not really brand specific and they don't even think of a brand when they think of some of these products. Mm -hmm. So that's where you can go, where like I said, everybody else is boasting, hey, I sold this pair of $1,000 skis. I sold 10 pairs, you know, on, uh, online. And meanwhile, we're selling, you know, 100 or something else. And we're not even really even beating our chest about it because it's just, it's under the radar, you know? Yeah, yeah. and it's always <laughs> better that way. Exactly, yeah. 
So did you ever advertise on Amazon? Did you ever use PPC for some of the listings? It's not your product, so usually you shouldn't need to, but did you ever try that? We have not, but we're aware of that. And it's in the back of our mind, depending on, like I said, if there's certain products now that maybe aren't as, that is not the brand recognition. And I, I think that's like where we might be headed with the next steps is to do some of the advertising and push some of these products that people just need, but they don't even know who makes them, you know, so to speak. Yeah. You know, I'm working with these brands and some of them, I've seen one or two deals being cut with, these are small brands, like you mentioned. They are just coming up with it and they don't really understand Amazon much, but they really don't have such a vast you know, supply chain network right. either. So they're cutting these deals that some of the uh, distributors they have, they actually run the Amazon operation mm-hmm. for the brand. It's part of the whoever has the seller account, but uh, they are splitting advertising costs and things like that. Uh, so that's one thing that I've seen being done. The other thing that I've seen is, uh, let's say, for example, again, these are not for big brands. These are smaller brands that you buy. There's no restriction on it. You are fully authorized to sell it. And you bought inventory and it's just not moving as fast as you would like. And you run the PPC campaign. As long as there's enough margin, then you can float more inventory that way. So those are things that I've seen being done, but it all comes down to the numbers. You know, what is your revenue model? How much, what is the the percentage that you will take home after running the PPC? Because PPC will bleed you for a while until Mm -hmm. you optimize the campaign. And then afterwards, you know, you'll you'll be able to manage it much, much more optimal. Mm-hmm. True. Things yeah. are done. So, what would be like a list of do's and don'ts for companies that are doing what you are doing? Uh, not they are not selling their own items, but they are resellers, uh, distributors, uh, or retailers that want to do this. So what are some do's and what are some don'ts? Share with us. Well, I would say just from some of the stuff we talked earlier, the do is you kind of have to really designate somebody specific. It can't just be a part-time role. It's got to be somebody that's really dedicated to it so that you always have your eyes you know, and hands around at all times. Uh, I think really taking the time to make sure you have everything in place before you start conducting business. We, we've learned packaging is key because you know that's part of you know some of the things with Amazon with customer experience. You know, you want to make sure the product is not damaged, it's good quality. And so early on, you know, we had some vendors maybe shipped us stuff that the uh, packaging wasn't as good or it got damaged in shipping, stuff like that. So we've had to change some stuff or even repackage stuff. And I think that's important. And we and we found from a viability standpoint, from a do is stuff that's really easily shipped and warehoused from our standpoint is a lot easier than stuff that's more complex or heavier, you know, mm-hmm. especially because, you know, the shipping and the challenges of boxing and everything like that. So those are some of the do's. And I think also, um, you know, just planning in advance, the inventory that you need, obviously, like we talked about, you know, and the don'ts are don't neglect if you get Amazon reviews or anything like that, you have to react quick. So I think that's a don't and a do. So if you have a an inquiry from a customer, uh, don't ignore it. We get back to them right away. We email every customer or contact them anytime we get any inquiry. And it's, it's amazing, you know, so much so that some customers have, uh, oh my gosh, you're the best, you know, well, and they've even come to, uh, call up or shop our store directly versus going to Amazon. And that's big, you know, so the communication is, uh, is key. 
you know, they want to customers, if they have an issue, want to be responded and Amazon wants to make sure you respond. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's important. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a track, right? They have a metric, you know, how many emails you see that are responded within 24 hours, over 24 hours. So they, you are being tracked and that's what they want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think so. I think from us, so, you know, by learning all those things, and I think, you know, you have to always learn from your mistakes or where the errors are or where the issues could arise so that you can eliminate them in advance. And I think that's what we've continually worked on is like, all right, this happened. Whose fault was it? How did it happen? Sometimes it's nobody's fault. Things just happen, right? But right, if, right. If, there's some, if there's something you can control, then we just want to make sure we put a process in so it doesn't happen again. And I think that's made us better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is uh, Amazon's business strategy always is be prepared. And when when you get into some kind of a problem and then your account gets suspended, they always ask you to submit a plan of action. And in the plan of action, they say, tell us what happened and why it happened. Tell us what you're doing to fix it and tell us what you're doing so that it doesn't happen again in the future. <laughs> so right. they don't want the same problem coming back over and over. And right. a lot of the times they accept the answers to question one and two. Okay, fine. You know, we understand, but we're not satisfied with your answer about how you're going to avoid it in the future. This can happen again. Mm-hmm. So it's always being uh, preemptive. So as a third-party seller, if you look at all the Amazon policies that govern how you operate, can you see one thing that you would like changed? I don't know. We've lived with it for so long now. Like Nothing that comes to mind off the top of my head that I can think of. You know, but what I hear most, your real restriction is not necessarily Amazon, but it's the brands, right? True, true. That, you know, in our world, that's 100% what it is. It's, you know, we've figured out the whole Amazon thing pretty good. So working with Amazon, we have that all dialed in, but it's really working with the, and they change some stuff with some policies and some warehouse and where to ship and that, but they're, it's pretty good, pretty computerized. But our issue is always, the last few years has been more about dealing with the brands than Amazon. Yeah. Okay, well, I mean, this is this is a totally different perspective because when I talk to companies, the CEOs, and they're always talking about promoting their items and how to go about doing it. And, and your perspective is very valuable because it's a huge part of the Amazon business, people reselling, and yeah. it's very valuable. So what I heard, if I can summarize, you tell me if this is accurate, in this order. First, pick the right items in terms of any restrictions by brands and whether or not they will make money, right? That's Mm -hmm. the first one. Second, plan in advance as much as possible for your inventory and be prepared for the unexpected situations. That means you may buy too much or you may buy too little. Mm -hmm. True. And the third, you've got to have somebody who focuses on this. It can't be a side job. They have to take ownership, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Absolutely. That's that's a key. Okay. So this is uh, extremely valuable. Well, you know, thank you so much, Andy. You know how I feel that we started together and I'm so happy that you're still doing it after almost 10 years. And clearly, you know exactly what to do and you're operating very well. So uh, I wish you a lot of luck and I'm sure you'll be here another 10 years from today. <laughs> you'll, you'll be doing it successfully. 
Thank you again. And, and anybody wants to visit any one of the uh, Alpine House stores, they are upstate New York mostly. They can come to your website and find out where it is. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you, Andy. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Yep. Thank you, Nick. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Be sure and subscribe, rate, and review our show. And be sure and share an episode with a friend. And thank you so much for being with us today. We'll see you next week here on Amazon Legends.